Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Hello, my friends and fellow travelers. What is going on? Today is Wednesday. It's the 19th of April, 2023. If you would like to contact me, I have the email address, which is firearmscafe at protonmail.com. You can either write an email, and I'll read it for you on the show, or you can record your own audio, and I'll play it for you. If you're interested in any of my social media stuff, you can go over to firearmscafe.com. All that stuff is over there. If you would like to support the show, you could do it either financially, and there's a donation button, or you can just share the show with your friends, put it on any links to certain episodes on any social media that you happen to be on, and help spread the word, and I would appreciate that. All right, let's go ahead and jump in with the show. On the last show, we talked quite a bit about the ATF, what's going on with them, what's going on with the different lawsuits, this, that, and the other thing, and how basically for a while, it's in, in for the foreseeable future, probably at least over the next, oh, what, two to five years probably, we're going to be looking at a lot of lawsuits, a lot of things that are going up to the uh, higher courts, and then maybe eventually makes it into the Supreme Court, depending on what they're, what the lawsuits are doing. It looks like, and so we'll talk a little bit about maybe the bump stock bans. It looks like that the ATF is now trying to say, hey, we actually can regulate these things, so... I don't think that's going to go anywhere. I think it's going to get probably knocked down. When we look at something like the 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 pistol brace, there's a couple of things that are going on. There are still other lawsuits that are from Second Amendment Foundation and from, I believe, Gun Owners of America. That stuff still has to uh, play out, I guess, for, for lack of a better term. There is also in the House, I think it is called, it's House Joint Resolution Number 44, which in a nutshell basically says that the, the ATF's ability to rule on the pistol brace, it's, it, I, I think they're kind of saying that it's, it's not, that this is something that is, has to be a law and it's not a law. And so anything that the ATF does, any type of, interpretive regulation that they want to do would have no uh, force or effect, meaning they would have no force of law and there there couldn't be any effect of that, meaning that you couldn't prosecute or, or punish anybody for that. Is that going to go anywhere? Uh, is, is that going to do anything? No. I, I can tell you right now that's not going to happen. It's interesting to see that it kind of comes to sort of up to bat, so to speak, or comes to the plate. We've talked about this before, especially with the Republicans, is that they seem to do this stuff and they really seem to get their fighting spirit up when they know, well, there's no chance for us to win. So we'll go ahead and do it. And we don't, we sort of gain some brownie points, but we don't actually do anything that affects change or that 
substantively protects the citizenry. You know, it's all kind of just for show and a little bit of smoke and mirrors and stuff like that. So, and I think we also talked a little bit, kind of sticking with the pistol brace stuff. You know, we, we talked a little bit about how the idea of, are you admitting to a crime if you say, well, I have this pistol brace and it's on a firearm that has a, a barrel that is under 16 inches. And so therefore I am admitting to having and possessing a short barrel rifle under your definition. And I'm hoping that you don't prosecute me. And again, we went over that stuff last time, but it's, it still kind of bears repeating that many people just aren't going to do anything. I think you, whether it is, would be a legitimate defense of non-incrimination under the fifth amendment you know i I don't know Uh, but it would it would be sort of worth looking at you know kind of under under those things now if there I, i i learned some new terms and i've known about these for a while but i since i haven't gotten real deep into this stuff I wanted to kind of educate myself as much as I can and with the limiting limited understanding of what I have and it may not be the actual oh how it would be interpreted in in a court but sort of in layman's terms there's two terms that we need to think of especially in a lot of these lawsuits with the ATF there is a thing and and, and what actually is their interpretive and regulatory authority? And when does that go beyond the scope, especially if they're punishing people and prosecuting people for that? So there's a thing called uh, Chevron difference, and that basically applies to Again, that thing of what actually is the authority. Um, so when something is unclear, and that's usually what things like ATF or some of these other regulatory branches of the government want. They want that because basically what that says is they have the ability to say, okay, if this law is kind of vague or kind of unclear. Our agency is the experts in that. And so what we say kind of goes and our interpretation of it is is what the spirit of the law meant or what was the intention of the legislative body. You know, we, we sort of have that authority. And then there's also a thing called the rule of, and I, I think it's called lenity, spelled L-E-N-I-T-Y. And that would say that under a criminal, oh, what do we, what's the word I'm looking for? Under a criminal act or a, a, a thing that they're going to consider a, a criminal offense, I guess, as, as maybe opposed to just like a regulatory thing where there might, you know, um, and again, it's like I said, I'm not a hundred percent sure 
because it's, it's even this stuff on, on how they're going to assign stuff is, can be a little vague. But basically, what they were saying is if it, if it was actual interpretation of a certain law would then turn you into um, a criminal or like how the ATF is wanting to do with the pistol brace thing, it would seem rather clear that the rule of lenity then goes in our favor. And that's basically what that says, is it says that if the statute or the regulation is seems like it's arbitrary or is unclear, that then it has to go under the, the rule of lenity. It has to go towards us, we the people. It has to go in favor of us and not in favor of the agency. And so... I think that a lot of this ATF stuff, and again, I think you could easily go in and make the case and say, well, even your interpretations are unclear. And under the rule of lenity, it has to go, it has to favor us. So we'll, we'll see on that. Kind of an, on an interesting side note, maybe I guess what we would call it, on a uh, societal thing or maybe even a little bit of the zeitgeist. I was watching a video and I can't remember the name of the video. I, I think it's called like Four Boxes Dinner Diner or something like that. Anyway, he um, it's a YouTube channel and the guy is an attorney and uh, he does a pretty good job of explaining a lot of things. So I, I think it's called Four Boxes Diner or something like that. Anyway, um, he was talking about that, I guess, the LA Times and then the New Republic, which are both very left-leaning, and especially the New Republic is extreme left-leaning. And again, this will be kind of anecdotal and, and kind of take it with a grain of salt and uh, that type of thing. But basically what he was saying, and he kind of went over these articles that these two separate uh, institutions wrote about, and they were basically saying, look, we are losing in the war on, on guns. The, um, the other side is winning. And it's primarily, and this is what I thought was interesting, and I'd kind of thought this for a while, and I've talked about this stuff for a while, especially when we look at the uh, what happened during the pandemic. And then we look at also at the state of things now is that crime is rising, especially where these people are based out of because they're, they're Democrat-run cities or areas. And when you're getting a lot of these very soft on crime district attorneys, but also even up through the governorship and all this other stuff where they are doing things, you know, you, you look over in California where they're saying, well, look, we're not going to prosecute if it's under a thousand dollars. If you go in and take something, we're not going to do it. We're also going to let a lot of people go. We're going to be very lenient on setting bonds for people, things like that. And so the message that's getting sent out there, especially for some of the lower level stuff, is you can go in and you can just do pretty much whatever you want in these stores. And what a lot of those left-leaning places... Now, this isn't in the article. I'm kind of editorializing myself here. But what a lot of those left-leaning places are saying, because they are anti-corporation to begin with. And I'm not saying I'm pro-corporation. I, I think, you know, corporations really need to be reined in and saddled back. And and, uh, and uh, there needs to be a lot more regulation on a lot of the predatory things that they do and, and uh, all this other. But anyway, that's that's a whole other subject. But what, what those, a lot of those 
blue-run cities and states are saying is, ah, these corporations can take it on the chin. They can absorb the loss. And that may sound good on a, oh, what do you want to say, like a, on, on a quick press release or, or a public announcement. But how do, how do corporations and, and companies and businesses absorb the cost of stuff? They pass it on to the consumer. And the, the people in power know that. But they're counting on the average person to say, yeah, well, that corporation makes a lot of money. And then, so, so what happens? And you see a, an interesting cycle. And I'll, I'll promise I'll get back to the kind of these articles here. But you see this interesting cycle of the people are saying, well, yeah, this corporation can absorb it. They have all these profits. Their CEOs make all this money, da, 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 da. So they can absorb some of this stuff. And it's not, you know. Uh, and there's kind of this weird thing of, oh, the people that are stealing this stuff, they need those diapers. They need, you know, da, 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 da. they need the food. And well, most of the people are stealing TVs and rollerblades and bicycles and they're not going in there and stealing, you know, pizza bites and, and, uh, baby formula. But anyway, the cycle is, is the, the government say, well, we're not going to prosecute those people. So there's no incentive for people not to go in there, like a criminal element to go in and just take what they can get because it's, it's a free, right now it's, a, it's like a shopping spree. It's a free reign for them. The corporation absorbs it for a little bit. And then what they do is they go to the lawmakers and they say, hey, hey, you know, you, you guys need to actually start prosecuting because we're getting robbed blind here. We're not going to be able to stay open. And then the government officials go, yeah, whatever, we're not going to do that. You just got to suck it up. So then those corporations say, well, well, we'll do what we can. They end up raising prices and the theft and stuff still continues. The destruction still continues. And then eventually they just say, we're shutting it down. We're leaving. We make some money here, but if we're not profitable here, there's no reason for us to be in these communities. So you look at places in California, in Illinois, you look at places in Washington and Oregon you see Walmarts are closing down, REIs are closing down, and they're leaving. They're, they're not even bothering to open different locations. Uh, or if they do, they're out in, in maybe counties that aren't necessarily Democrat-run, if there are any. Anyway, kind of getting back to this whole thing of, of those articles, and they're saying, well, we're, we're kind of losing this, this culture war on guns. And the reason why is... Even the people that are left-leaning, not the hardcore left people, but the, the guy who's maybe like a centrist, leans a little left Democrat, is saying, well, I can't take my kids to the park anymore. I can't let my kid walk home from school, even though it's only three blocks up the way, because to come down from the school and then turn on to where our street is, they have to go through these giant homeless encampments where people are super high. Most of the time, 99% of the time, those people there, even even in the state that they're in, aren't going to prey on children. But there are a subset of those people that are in that homeless encampments that absolutely will prey on children, and especially if they're altered mentally through drugs or alcohol or just even mental illness. So you see when when the people there actually are starting to see the results of this non enforcement in po uh, policies and basically empowerment of the criminal element they say well i know the police aren't going to come and help me and if, even if i call them 
it's going to take them 30 minutes to get here if they ever show up at all. So I better have a gun. I better have it in my, you know, I need a gun for the house. Maybe my wife needs one to, to have in her purse or in the car when we're driving around if she's getting the kids. And then when you looked at, also when you look at what happened, if, and people, we all have short memories, but you, but I, I remembered looking at places like California when, during the height of the pandemic, when people were like, well, is there going to be food? I need to get food. And all of a sudden, a thing that you would think we'd never run out of in a million years would be toilet paper. All of a sudden, you can't get toilet paper. All of a sudden, you go and you can't get pasta. You can't get pasta sauce. You can't get flour. You can't get sugar. You can't get yeast. I remember when that stuff was gone. You, you, you'd have a hard time of getting fruit, milk, and eggs, all that type of stuff like the staples. Because people were saying, well, holy cow, it's coming. I don't know how long this is going to last. I need to store up on stuff. And people were going to the grocery store and then they would come out and they were getting robbed. Now, it wasn't happening every single time, but it was happening enough to where people were like, this could turn into a situation rather quickly where people are going to maybe be breaking into my house not looking for my TV you're not looking for to steal my Xbox or my PlayStation, but they're going to come in here and they're going to actually take food from me. And I need to be able to defend myself. And then you had these long lines. And you, look, you had runs here in Arizona with ammo and, and guns and stuff like that. So, But imagine in California when these people are showing up and they're in this long line and they're like, oh, I, you know, I want a handgun or I want a shotgun or I want this or I want that. And they're like, well, we're, we're either sold out like the other 300 people that were here before you. They've already purchased these. All the stuff that you see here, these are already bought and we've got background checks going. There's a 10 day waiting period. And then those people are going to come and get their stuff. And then those same people also bought up all the ammo. So even if you can get this nine millimeter, you got no bullets for it. So I don't know what you're going to do. So anyway, it, it said that even the people that are pretty left leaning, when that type of situation occurs, they're like, oh yeah, you know, I, I probably do need something now. Maybe they, and maybe they don't have that mindset of now that I've got the gun and I've got, you know, 50 rounds of ammo. Now I really need to go out and start practicing. So I actually need to get, you know, maybe four or 500 rounds of ammo so I can get competent with a gun. Most of them thought I've got the gun. I've got 25 rounds or 50 rounds. I'll go and shoot 10 and then I'll be fine. Um, which is again, not what I'd like to see people do, but that's even if that was their mindset, and people kind of remember that. That's sort of one of those things where people are now thinking, even if they have that mindset, I've got my pistol or I've got my shotgun, I've got my 25 rounds of ammo, and I'm set. Because those things don't go bad. They don't spoil. And they're like, I'm not, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to have to turn this thing in. Now, some of them, I'm sure did. They thought, oh, it was fine. And then, you know, I didn't get murdered and da, 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 But anyway, what that kind of article was alluding to was that, you know, with the crime, with, with 
the uptick in poverty, with the uptick in homelessness, with the idea that another pandemic type situation will probably come again. A lot of those people are have have sort of had a somewhat dramatic shift in their perspective on firearms. And again, 99 of those percent of those people aren't going to see themselves as bad people, right? So there's a funny disconnect when it comes to a lot of times the the thinking of like the gun control people and they'll be like, well, gun control is good because it keeps the others from having a gun. If nobody has one, then it keeps the criminal element from having it, right? It keeps the bad people, but they don't ever think of themselves as bad people. And then when something like this happens and then they're like, oh, all these laws that I voted for and all these people that I put into power that were constantly trying to limit my ability and access to guns, I never thought of it as pertaining to me. I only thought of it as pertaining to these bad people. And I'm a good person. So that's that's what you saw, especially in California in these lines. It was just constantly of, what do you mean I can't get it and I can't get it now? I'm not you know, a criminal, I never did nothing, da, 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 da. And they're like, well, that's what, you know, that's what you voted for. That's the people you put in power. So anyway, let's switch over and let's talk a little bit about uh, some politics. And I'm going to talk a little bit about local Arizona politics and kind of what that means for us. And, and it's similar to some of the stuff we've talked about before in that it kind of matters if you're in Texas, right, you're like, well, I don't really care who your senator is, but you should. And I should care who the senator is in Texas. And I should care who the senator is in Utah and Colorado and New Mexico and Nevada and Wyoming and Montana, because that can affect what laws are going to get squashed, what laws might get passed, that type of thing. So Arizona, and we talked a little bit um, about some local politics last time, so I won't go too deep into the minutia of that, but what I'll talk about is sort of the the general political face out here. So right now, our governor, who's Katie Hobbs, is a Democrat. Our secretary of state, which you would, we don't have a lieutenant governor, so you could have a governor that's a Democrat and you could have a secretary of state who's your second in command that is a Republican and vice versa. Right now, what we happen to have is Hobbs is a Democrat. Our secretary of state is a guy named Adrian Fontes, and he's also a Democrat. And then our attorney general, who's the person who is going to kind of set the tone for what's going to get prosecuted and what's not is uh, Chris Mays or Meyer. I think it's Chris Mays. She's a Democrat. So what we've seen is a lot of stuff that's come out from legislation that's come out. Our governor, because our, our legislative body is primarily Republican, but even some of the bills that came out that were bipartisan, she's just vetoing them all. Um, and so I, I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do with that stuff. If we look at our, uh, and I think last time I talked a little bit about Arizona, like some people consider Arizona a blue state just because of who our top kind of three 
government officials are. I don't think it will. I think Arizona is probably what will what's going to be going forward for a while. It's going to be pretty much a purple state. I think it will eventually go back to pink. I don't know if it'll ever go red, meaning if it'll ever go really kind of back to ultra conservative. Part of the reason is there's there's a few things. We have had an influx of people from other states into Arizona. So, so we've had a lot of people from California. And this just isn't in the last two or three years, but it's over 10, 15 years. We've had a lot of people uh, from Oregon, from Washington, from place, places that were maybe a little bit more conservative back in the day. And then over the past 20 years, as they've gone more and more blue, a lot of the people have left there. And a lot of those people a few years ago, maybe they would have considered themselves a very moderate Democrat. And then they get out here and they're going to vote, you know, Democrat some of the time. And some of the times they, they maybe they vote Republican. They're like, oh, you know, these people, I, I, the policies here are a little bit different. And that would be for informed voters. And also a lot of those people that originally left, let's say at the start of that 20 year migration. So at the very start of that, were more like Republican people and they could, they actually could leave. They could relocate. They could get a job out here, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And so the balance of power didn't really change all that much. Um, well, should we talk about numbers or let's talk about numbers of the, of the political bodies. And then we'll talk about numbers of kind of the registered voters type thing. So if you look at Again, the, the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives. So in the Senate, like I said, we have Kirsten Sinema. She's a, uh, um, a registered independent now. Basically Democrat still. Democrat light. And then we have Mark Kelly. And he is, he's as blue as you can get. Um, and then if we look at the U.S. House of Representatives, we have six Republicans and three Democrats. If you look at Arizona's state body, so the in our our own state legislature, legislature, excuse me, in the Senate we have sixteen Republicans and fourteen Democrats, and in our House we have thirty-one Republicans and twenty-nine Democrats. So, when you look kind of at those legislative bodies in the state you're almost seeing kind of like a 50-50. There's still a little bit of a Republican majority. Will that... And then there's a lot of stuff that's going on with that. Um, and we'll talk We'll talk sort of about the Trump effect and what that means for us here and what that means maybe when the ripples in the pond kind of go out a little bit wider, what that means maybe for the rest of the country as well. So in Arizona, if we look at how the political parties sort of divide up what the numbers are for registered people. So you have about 1,443,142 registered Republicans, which is 34.7% of the registered voters. When you look at Democrats, they have 1,270,613 registered Democrats, or about 
percent of the of registered voters. And then you would say, well, if, if those are the numbers, shouldn't you guys then have a Republican governor and, and way more Republicans in the, in the thing? And you would say, well, yeah, if we just went off those, it would still be about a 50. It's, a, it's all, you know, they're so close. That 4% margin, almost 5% really isn't that, that big a deal. It's more like, you know, that. Uh, but the main thing is, and what kind of surprised me, was when you look at, and I don't, they don't lump libertarian into other anymore, or in with, in with independence anymore. When you look at libertarians, libertarians in Arizona only have something like, let me look at my paper here real quick, 32,961 registered libertarians for 0.8%. So we don't even make up 1%. And I, I, I understand why the Republican, not the Republican, the Libertarian Party has its head crammed so far up its own butt and is more focused on being, oh, having a sort of righteous, argumentative thing of I'm, you know, I'm, I've got the moral high ground, right? I've got this, I've got that, to where there's so much infighting, even in that small little party, they're never going to go anywhere. They're never, it's more important for them to say, I'm claiming this moral high ground, which is which they're really not, which is all a bunch of nonsense. It's all sort of this circular uh, argumentative stuff that they just go round and round. And in fact, I'm going to be leaving the Libertarian Party. I am sort of done with it. I think I'm going to register independent. But I, I don't see that the Libertarians ever gaining momentum. You you need a guy like a, like a Ron Paul, or you need a guy who can kind of come in and unite that party before it's ever going to go anywhere. So anyway, maybe independence the way to go and, and truly make it an independent party. But the interesting thing is if you look at the numbers of the ind- registered independents and, uh, and other, so that's going to include like Green Party and you know all this other kind of nonsense, the numbers of those are 1,415,020 as registered as other. The majority of those are registered as independent. So they are 34%. So they are basically right under the Republicans. A lot of those people are former Democrats who have said this is crazy. What we're seeing in Washington, what we're seeing with this super far left, super duper liberal thing, where are the moderate and centrist Democrats anymore? And so a lot of that's how cinema got in. That's how that makes sense now how cinema got elected because a lot of those people that are independents now are not only Democrats, but they're Republicans who left and they're like, we want moderation. We don't want somebody out there screaming about abortion. We don't want somebody out there screaming about how the elections are, are done. There are a lot of Republicans who didn't like Trump. And that's one of the reasons why I guess we were going to talk about the Trump effect. That's one of the reasons why I think Carrie Lake lost. She she didn't take a page on what she needed to do. But again, maybe she's a, a, a nice person. I don't know. But she came across as arrogant. She came across as one-sided. Even though she talked about, I'm going to do this for the people of Arizona. I'm going to do this for the da 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 She came across, in my view, and especially kind of looking back at it, as a little bit ex- more extreme. 
when you look at the campaigns, Hobbs didn't do anything. All she did was basically say, hey, I'm a Democrat and I'm, I'm not associated with Trump. And she won because of that. It was close, but she won. And had Lake run, had she taken a page from Cinema's book and run as a moderate, she would have kept all her Republican, all the Republican votes that she got. She would have kept those. Plus, I think she would have got a bunch more of that independent vote and a bunch more of those Republicans that left and, and popped over to the independent party. They said, well, I can, yeah, I can vote for her because I think she's talking about moderate stuff trying to be centrist, trying to work with everybody and trying to do what's best for the state. But she didn't do that. She ran as, um, I don't want to say as a, as a, as a radical, she ran as a, like, um, fervent conservative. And so she kind of got branded as an extreme, like, like an extreme right winger, which in some things she probably is, but I think she could have run in a way where she she could have uh, put a lot of those things to rest. She had really good name, name excuse me recognition from all her years as a newscaster out here. A again, the way that she also treated her opponent in Hobbs kind of showed a little bit of disdain for whether she deserved it or not. But in politics, you don't want to do that, right? Um. And some people would say, well, you know, she stuck to her guns. Well, that's great. You can stick your guns and go be a loser and then have zero effect on policy and have zero effect on change. And now she's trying to do all this stuff where she is uh, trying to say that the elections weren't fair, that they were rigged, that there was a lot of election fraud. And there probably was. Uh, but I think when you actually... There's some, but enough to make a difference. And I used to think, man, something's really going on here. But I didn't really have a, a good look at the actual numbers. And when you look at the actual numbers and how things are divided up, everything on paper starts to make sense. It makes sense why we have cinema. It makes sense why we have Kelly. Also, the Republican Party, the bigger party in Washington did not get behind the candidates out here. They just didn't. They said, eh, screw Arizona. We don't need them. Or they're lost anyway. Or we can work with, uh, you know, maybe for in the Senate, they figure, ah, you know, Kelly will play ball. He knows the score. So we don't got to worry about that. That's about the only thing I can think of. But they basically pulled out. But also, too, they didn't really spend time saying, Here's some actual good candidates. Here's somebody. Let's look at what's going on out there. And so what we need to do is run kind of a moderate Republican who's going to say we're going to hold people accountable, blah, 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 you know, all this other stuff. We're going we're gonna to make sure that our people aren't taxed. We're going to make sure that people are protected. We're going to make sure that you know, we can get jobs here, that we, don't, that, they're, um, that we can get maybe some of the, this runaway housing prices down, that you know, we, can, we can do some of these things to try and bring back some um, wealth and some prosperity to the people out here. But they didn't do that. Uh, and again, I said I'd talk a little bit about the Trump spoiler. Trump, is a, whether you like him or hate him, whether you think his policies were good or bad, whether you think he kind of blundered his way in through a lot of stuff, which I kind of think that he did, uh, I think that there were some good results from a policy standpoint from him that were good for the country. 
did he go about it in the right? You know, I, I, that's uh, can, that can be an issue that's up for debate. But Trump is very galvanizing, and he is, in my opinion, he's a bit of a spoiler now. And I think, again, we look at Carrie Lake. Had she not aligned herself so much with Trump and kind of really sought his endorsement and his all this other stuff, Look, the people that, that are that are pro-Trump and that were going to vote for her, those people aren't going to vote for, they weren't going to vote for Katie Hobbs. So you're sort of doing this weird stuff where you're courting um, people that you think are maybe on the fence. They're not going to be on the fence because you get Trump coming over. It's not It's not going to be that much of a spill a spillover as you think. Uh, so because she aligned himself herself excuse me so closely with him i think it really hurt her and i think it's going to hurt some of these other people and i know there's a lot of people out there who think well if we can get his endorsement is he going to run again you know all this other stuff but he's galvanizing enough to what he does is he gets when people hear trump and they're on the left they think vote against whoever trump endorses there is there's not enough of a a shift of maybe people that are on the fence, right? That uh, that are would maybe lean a little bit more right, and when they hear, oh, the, you know, this person is going to do a lot of the same stuff that Trump did, and they're like, well, I didn't really like what Trump did, or I didn't like him, so I don't want that again. So I'm just not either not going to vote. I may not vote for the other person, but I just won't vote at all, or I'll write in, you know, some libertarian candidate or some independent person that has zero chance. So anyway, let's kind of recap and then we'll draw the show to a close. Again, I think it's going to be with the ATF and with especially with these pistol brace lawsuits and with a lot of this other stuff. I think eventually we're going to win. It's going to take time and there's going to be ups and downs and back and forth. And that when when we see that the, the ATF maybe gets a win on a certain thing, then they're going to push for other stuff, which is what they're doing now. Ultimately, though, I think with how the Supreme Court interpreted stuff with with Bruin and how you have to go through certain categories. Uh, and and the, if you look to the majority of the states, now 26 out of out of the 50 are basically permitless carry states. Um, there's still, you know, even in those states, there's still some restrictions on where you can and can't carry, but you don't need a permit to carry. That eventually is going to cross over uh, to where there'll probably only be maybe 15 or so states that don't. And eventually those will will probably fall uh, because the data it won't, um, won't verify what they're saying is going to happen. You know. So anyway, uh, I think that's about it for that. There are still some kind of in the, in the, court battles there are still some judges that are advocate judges and 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 also activist judges and we can talk maybe on another show kind of about the difference of those uh in in my view an advocate judge may privately say hey i'm i'm for gun control but he won't necessarily rule on a pro-gun control thing all the time and then you have activist judges i guess we can just talk about it now because it's not too much deeper than this. And in my opinion, again, or how I view them, an activist judge will always rule unless there's just so his hands, his or her hands are tied that they can't rule pro-gun control. So anyway, um, 
it will be interesting to see what happens on the upcoming presidential election. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with some of these House seats that are going to be up for grabs. Will the Republicans maintain control in the House? Will the uh, will the Senate kind of spill back over? You know, who who knows? Cinema's seat is up, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens if she loses out, and maybe we get another Republican in there. So anyway, I think that will do it. I'm kind of losing train of thought here a little bit, so it's probably a good place to bring the show to a close. I will say one last thing on an unrelated note. I do have my other podcast, which is The Armed Ape. I'd invite you to go over there and listen to it. It's kind of turned, it used to be like a product review and kind of about anything. It's kind of turned more into a, like a film and TV show review thing, which I enjoy doing. So and the numbers are down there. I haven't put a show out in a while, but I'm getting back into that. So kind of a little bit behind the scenes on there. I'm having to change out when you, um, I guess my podcasting app on that show on, on how, Basically, it goes from the web, how I put it up on the website. And so I'm hoping to get that maybe all switched over and see if it works in the next couple of weeks. So like I said, go over, check those shows out. And that is thearmedape.com. If you want to go to the website or just The Armed Ape, you can look for that in any any kind of like Apple or any type of podcasting app that you use to listen to stuff. So anyway, like I said, I am rambling, rambling. Time to shut up. All right, my friends and my fellow travelers, I will talk to you guys next time.